Well, this morning we're looking at continuing our series on the perfect person, uh, part three. We have discussed what it would be to create the perfect person. You know, what would be a perfect individual? And, of course, we would say, well, a perfect person would be somebody without flaws. And, and of course, we know there isn't anyone who doesn't have flaws. You know, the only perfect person is Jesus Christ. And so in that line of looking at the scriptures and understanding what it would be like to be the perfect person, well, the perfect person is the one who is available for Jesus to use. So Jesus doesn't call perfect people. He calls imperfect people to be available for his spirit and his word to work through. So it isn't that we've got to measure up. We've got to just open up. So it isn't measuring up, it's opening up. And as we open up our hearts and our lives to Jesus, to the Spirit, and to the Word, we become someone that God can use to touch the lives of others. So the person that lives then as a completed individual, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, that the completed person is to love God with all their heart, their soul, and mind, and their neighbor as their self, that it is this experience that we are allowing God to work in our lives and living our life on God's terms. That we encounter life and we encounter what God has given us in his word to live life and to face life. And life. So we have limitations, you know, there isn't anyone who doesn't have them. We have limitations, limitations of our fallen nature, limitations that we somehow see ourselves not capable of doing. But God has a way of taking our limitations and opening up doors and opportunities for them to become greater than we could ever imagine. So, uh, greater is he, the scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So, we live in this understanding of what God wants to do. And we spoke last week about... Um, the, the mind, we've spoken in the last couple of weeks about the mind, and I, I came across this, this, uh, little, this story, and it goes as such. A 92-year-old, petite, well-poised, and proud man who is fully dressed each morning by 8 o'clock with his hair fashionably combed and shaved perfectly, even though he is legally blind, had to move to a, a nursing home that day. With his wife of 70 years, who had recently passed, making the move for him to this home necessary. After many hours of waiting patiently in the lobby of this home, he smiled sweetly whenever he was taken to his room. And as he maneuvered his walker to the elevator, the individual provided a visual description of his tiny room, including the eyelet shears that had been hung in his window. I love it, he stated with enthusiasm of 80-year-old having just been presented with a new puppy. Excuse me, an 8-year-old having presented with a new puppy. Mr. Jones, you haven't even seen the room. <laughs> He's legally blind. You haven't seen the room. Just wait. His response, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Happiness is something you decide on ahead of time. Whether I like the room or doesn't or not doesn't depend on how the furniture is arranged. It's how I arrange my mind. I've already decided to love it. It's a decision I make every morning when I wake up. I have a choice. 
I can spend the day in bed recounting the difficulty I have with parts of my body that no longer work, or get out of bed and be thankful for the ones that do. Each day is a gift, and as long as my eyes open, I'll focus on the new day and all that I have to do that day and all the happy memories that I have stored away for just this time. For you see, age is a bank account. You withdraw from what you've put in. So my advice, he says, is to, to deposit a lot of happiness in your bank account. So we find as we live our life and we are looking at what life has to offer, we want to see God in everything, seeing God in all things. And as we prepare ourselves and looking at this perfect person, we have seen how that the heart, where we started with, is to be one that is the seat of our emotions. And we know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, that from a sound mind, that which is something that we're not wavering in our faith. We have not, we're not driven by the wind of time or the winds that come and go or the peer pressures. We are sound in our thinking, the helmet of salvation guarding our thoughts, that we listen, we are hearing what the Word says to us, and we are making application of that Word to our lives. Oh, taste and see the mouth. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It is an experience of knowing God. It is God at work in our life and that we are speaking the truth of God's word into our life. So these are the things that we've kind of gone over in these past few weeks about being the perfect person. Well, today's message is, well, let's see, (laughs) what would be left Uh, about, you know, what we should do with our hands. (laughs) Whatever Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So we are looking at that. So Luke, excuse me, Romans chapter 8. This is the scripture we've been using. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking of more uh, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone of course who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you, experience, you yourselves experience life on God's terms. Stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life, which his spirit living in you, your body, will be as alive as Christ. So we find that God has, he is alive, he has moved in, and that you are delivered from the dead life. All right? Now for the uh, scriptures that we have for our text, and it is in Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. 
And here we find the story, and, and it's, it's interesting because this, this story is, and, and, you know, sometimes the parables that Jesus, no, the parables that Jesus tells often are illustrations and stories that he has thought up of, thought of, and that he's able to make the parallel. Well, this is a story that is probably a very common story that happens in that, in that, in, in the Middle East, and in the, and the people are familiar with it because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a very long, descending, winding road. And um, uh, I remember we were traveling on a bus <laughs> coming from Jericho up to Jerusalem, and you uh, ascend a couple of thousand feet up the, the you know, it goes from Jericho's is in, Jericho's in the valley, and Jerusalem's on the mountaintop. And the bus we were on, on this road, it was only a one-way road. And there was no one-way signs. <laughs> and we're driving a bus, and the bus would, literally, the front end of the bus would go over. There were no guardrails. There was no guardrails. And if you met a bus, another bus coming down, somebody had to back up. All right? And when you looked over, I was on the outside at the window, looking out over, and you could not see the ground. That's how close we were to the edge. And it was hundreds of feet down into the valley. This is the Jericho Road. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure they have better roads now. At least I hope so, because I, did, I didn't like that road. I didn't like that road at all. <laughs> I did not like it at all. And, uh, but the Jericho Road, and this is the road that Jesus is talking about, the, 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 where people would travel, and it was a very rocky mountain area from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So, Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. Now, remember also that we're talking about doing. Doing. Just then, a religious, schol- a religious scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Well, he answered, well, what is written in God's law? How do you interpret it? Well, he said, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, Jesus said, do that and you will live. While looking for a loophole, this scholar asked, And just how would you define my neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. And then a Levite, a religious man, showed up. He also avoided the injured man. Verse 33, a Samaritan traveling on that road came on him. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid and disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him on his donkey, led him to an inn, made him comfortable. And in the morning, he took, up, took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by the robbers? 
the one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. And Jesus said, go and do the same. So in this passage, he writes of this religious scholar who is wanting to tempt Jesus. It's, it's sad how that um, people have false concepts of religion and they use them to try and twist the truth. They use them to um, try and devalue what is good and what is set up by God. And here we have this scholar who was trying to poke holes in the people who would believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was someone from God. They were always trying to find ways that he was not really, to prove to everybody that he was not really who he said he was. And this scholar was trying to cast shadow over the good that Jesus has done. And so we are, as allowing God to work in our hearts and our lives, we are to be delivered from this dead life, the life of trying to find fault with other people and find fault with the, the things of our society and find fault with religion and find fault with those who are trying to serve God. It is not for us to find fault with them. It is for us to pray for them that they might become better in what they do. They might become better in their life. And it's it's difficult process, you know. Have anyone complained this week about somebody? But, you know, if you haven't, I've probably done enough for both of us. But, uh, you know, we find that it we, we are part of that. We Anybody complained this week about somebody? You know, somebody? Huh? Or something, you know, we're complainers. If you're not bellyaching and complaining, you know, something's not right with the world. <laughs> but, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The question that this individual is bringing to Jesus, and it's a great question. There is something to be done. Now, we know that our salvation our relationship with Jesus Christ does not depend upon doing something. Our relationship with God depends upon receiving something. I, have to re- I receive life from God by confessing my lack of life. I have sin in my life and I ask God to forgive me. That's receiving something from God. God doing something for me that I can't do for myself. I can't save myself from sin. I can't save myself from the wrongs that I have committed in my life. Uh, You know, sometimes we look at life as having this scale that if we do enough good things, you know, when people, and and it's, it's hard to hear this, that I hope I have, I hope I get to heaven. Okay, well, what do you mean? Well, I hope I do enough good things to outweigh all the bad things and I go to heaven. You see, that's wrong. We can never do enough good things to outweigh the bad things. We are asking God to forgive us of the bad things and help us to do the good things. What is the good that I must do? And our relationship with Jesus Christ is not that, well, you know, David, you better straighten up because you're, you're approaching, <laughs> you know, you how old you are and you're about done with living here and you better straighten up if you're ever going to balance this thing out. And sorry, it's not going to work that way. 
Salvation and forgiveness is a gift of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. We earn the right to go to hell. (laughs) We receive the gift of eternal life. God is the giver of the gift of life. So we receive the gift of eternal life, which is forgiveness, and then we find that Jesus is saying here to this individual, there is something to be done. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, there is something to be done. Jesus directs him to the law. And the law, the scholar was using to try and snare Jesus, was the very law that Jesus referred to for this scholar to talk about. Well, what does the law say? Well, you've got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You know, you've got to love God. So loving God is our greatest gift. God is the very best gift. So the very thing that we are to do is to love God. And so we we find that this declaration is that we are to see God as the very best gift of our life that we are to see his word as the the very best of what of literature <laughs> that the scriptures are the very best of literature the very best of history the very best of of what can be given to us is in the book is in the bible heaven and earth will pass away but his word is going to last for an eternity so we anchor our lives our thoughts our actions our deeds upon the word because that's what's going to give us hope Give us eternal life. Jesus is the Word, became flesh, and dwelt among us, the revelation of God. So we want to love God and understand by understanding His Word. We prize Him above all treasures. We value Him above our lives. We devote ourselves to Him above every other devotion. Love God with all your heart, sincerely, purely, fervently, with your entire soul, all that is within us. We must love nothing besides Him. When I read that, it's like, I must love nothing besides God. I've got to love only God and God only. And then then I understood, it's that I see God in everything. And so as I love God, I see how my life is involved and God is in everything. God is there. Well, what about in all the evil? What about God didn't create it, but God can turn it around. All things work together for good. So God is there, and how can I see good in that which is bad? How can I see how God, you see, this is where our faith and where our, our declaration of faith and how the God is at work is going to come about in our lives And it's an awesome task. And it's an impossible human task to see God in everything. It's impossible. I can't see it. (laughs) Well, God can help me because he he helps us see him more clearly. In all the difficulties, in all the problems, God has a way of turning it for good. And sometimes we won't know that till eternity until we look back, and so by faith, we accept and look for the good. 
driving to Pittsburgh all this winter. Right, Terry? <laughs> That's what, you know, we just happened to say that coming in, you know, I was talking, well, that fits right in with my sermon today, <laughs> you know, finding God in the snowstorm of this winter, okay, finding God in the difficulties, in the, difficult, the jobs that we do, the traveling, the driving, <clears throat> the people, the, the, the discouraging, God, is God there? He is. Sometimes we have to look pretty hard to find him, but he's there. You see, this scholar wanted to snare Jesus in his trap. <laughs> and, you know, Jesus says, love the Lord, like, you know, the, the law says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's a good thing, do that. And then, then the, the scholar says, question, can you define neighbor? <laughs> can you define who my neighbor is? Now, what this guy is looking for is the loophole. You know, what's the back door? Well, how can I get out of this? You know, the reasoning part of this whole thing. The reason we do not need to do the good thing that God commands us. I, don't, I, can, I can get out of this because I don't need to see God in everything because they definitely are not God. <laughs> you know, just one look will tell you it's not God. But you see, behind all of this and behind their facade and behind the, the mask and behind there is something that is there that God has placed there that he wants us to touch. So, who is my neighbor? So, building the perfect person, um, is the one who is available for God to use. So, the story that Jesus talks about here is that he, he tells about this man on the road from Jericho to, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's fallen among the thieves and robbers, and they kick him, beat him, rob him, steal his clothes, steal his goods, and they leave him to die on the Jericho road. And then, I love this word, luckily, as luck would have it, who shows up? Who shows up? The priest! Lucky for him, the priest comes. Well, the priest is probably, has just probably left his duty at, at Jerusalem with the temple, and he's headed back to Jericho to his home. So he's done his duty, whether it's been a day or a week, a month, however their duty schedules them uh, of service at the, at the temple, they have just finished their, their, their duty, their tour of service at the temple, and they're on their way home. So here's a man who is very acquainted with the laws and the sacrificial system and taking people's sacrifices and taking them in and, you know, sacrificing them, you know, killing the animals as sacrifices for sins for the people, and he's just finished this duty of representing the people to God, and he's on his way to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he sees this man beaten and lying there half dead, lucky for him, he passes on the other side. <laughs> Whoa, wait, lucky? As luck would have it. Well, who else shows up? He's a Levite. Levites are religious men too. So if, if you're going to be in a fix of almost dying, lucky for you, a religious person shows up. <laughs> well, this man, 
the priest angles across the other side of the road. He angles off, <laughs> and the Levite, he pretends he doesn't even see him. You know, he just walks on by. And they are the ones who should be examples of love and sympathy, those who display the mercies of God and who know the mercies of God. But you see, religion doesn't change people. Relationship does. There are lots of religious people who don't have God in their heart. There are lots of religious people who do not respond to needs. Religion is an outline for relationship. What our relationship entails. And the, re the relationship is to see God in all things. God in the beaten, half-dead man on the street. God is there. While well, actions of the heart, actions of the mind, actions of the tongue. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Actions of the hand. All of us from thoughts to seeing, to hearing, to talking, the, ac the actions of our hearts and our hands and, and our feet are all working in harmony. We can chew gum and walk at the same time. <laughs> you know, I can tap my head and rub my... All, the, all, in, all in harmony. No, I can't do that, but you know. We want to walk in harmony with God. So the Samaritan despised and see who is the guy who helps him the samaritan and who is the samaritan the samaritan is the one despised by the jews the the samaritans are individuals who were left during the uh, babylonian captivity that they were the jewish individuals who were basically not even worth taking to ca taking captive and they were left there and they inter they intermarried with non-Jewish people, and they became known as the Samaritans, and the Samaritans had their own section of Winber. <laughs> they had their own section. They lived across the tracks, the Samaritans. They were the people on the other side of the tracks. They were the people you don't like. You don't like. They were, they were uh, just the bad people of town, you know. And the Samaritans were despised, they were hated, and if, it were, if you were walking to a certain location and you were going to go through Samaria, you would not go through it, you would go around it, even if it took a day longer. You would not even step, step foot on their territory because they were the worst, they were despised. So, luckily for this guy, a Samaritan came by. A Samaritan's going to help out a Jew. And in this case, yes. The Samaritan saw him. His heart was moved. He gave first aid. He bandaged him up. He disinfected his wounds, put him on his own donkey, and took him to the inn and paid for his night's stay until he was recovered. So Jesus says to the, to the scholar, which one of these three was a neighbor? Which one was the neighbor? The Samaritan. 
which is which person what act of kindness distinguished the three the one who took the time to do good so <laughs> kindness kindness is a group of people or things that belong together or have some shared quality being kind having a shared quality be ye kind one to another and tender hearted that these are the qualities kindness is the quality of a christian so the perfect person is one who is available for God to move through. Seeing God in everyone is allowing God in us to touch the God in them. I have a little, a little video that we want to show and, and, and just kind of pay attention to where it starts and see where it finishes. There it starts and there it finishes. <laughs> A teacher's worst nightmare. And
<laughs> that was the guy who started it. <laughs> and act of kindness, being able to see God. And this is the Good Samaritan. Maybe it's not somebody laying half dead on the road, but it's being able to do good to the things or to someone around us, whether it's a cup of cold water or helping across the street. That's the message of being good enough. It isn't the person who's perfect, but who is allowing God to work through them in the moment to touch the lives of someone else. Amen? That's what the story is about. That is the perfect person. The perfect person is the one who is available for God to do something good through to touch the lives of another. Shall we stand? <laughs> Father, we are grateful to you for the blessings you have given us and how that you have touched our lives in a very real way. And we are grateful for how that you love us. We pray, Lord, that you will bless and you will move in our hearts and lives in a way that we can touch the lives of others. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Do good. <laughs> amen.